0: You're listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, good morning. This morning we're bringing this series to a close that we've entitled The Way. So one last time I'm going to tell you, hi, my name is Jeff and I'm a sinner well, I feel a whole lot better about you people than I did about the preacher that was here last week. (laughs) Don't you? I mean, the reality is you raise these kids, you give them a microphone, and then they turn on you, don't they? (laughs) Hey, here's what I want to say this morning. You ever notice this in your life that what you think life is going to be is very different from what life actually is? I mean, I think about the father I thought I'd be and the father that I actually am. I think about the preacher that I thought I'd be and the preacher that I actually am. I think about the husband that I thought I'd be and the husband that I actually am. I think about the adventures I thought I'd take and the adventures that I actually have taken. Isn't it true that life sort of disappoints just at points in times, feels as though it doesn't measure up? I've been married to Beth for some 37 years. Years, They say opposite attracts. You don't recognize that when you walk down the aisle, just how opposite you are. Beth is sort of this country girl. She likes to be in the wide open spaces. I'm kind of a city guy. I like concrete and tall buildings. And Beth loves camping. Can I be honest with you? I hate camping. I <laughs> absolutely hate it. In fact, in all honesty, I think camping is unchristian. Think about it for a moment. If God has given to us the ability to create buildings, to have indoor plumbing, to heat them, to give them air conditioning, why in the world would you and I go back to primitive ways? Why? But because she loves to go camping and she sort of brainwashed her children, when we were first married, we went camping. Listen, I was never a happy camper when I was camping, but I took one for the team. So we decided we'd go camping in Holland State Park. We actually borrowed a camper. You know, one of those pop-up things. They have sort of this hard shell on the top, but on the side, all you got is this screened-in area so that you can hear the neighbors all around you all night long. So here's what I did. I made my way to the Holland State Park, and I meet the ranger there, and she said, I got bad news for you, and that's this. All we have are sunspots. I've never been camping before. I thought to myself, listen, my family loves the sun. I love the sun. It was 105 degrees that week, in the shade of which we had none. And we literally baked, you could fry an egg on the top of this camper. And I remember I was so miserable that I begged everybody, could we please go home? Could we get into the air conditioned car and go to our air conditioned home? Is it possible we could do so? I remember Beth began to cry, the kids began to cry. And so I decided I would institute some of my greatest spiritual gifts, Pouting and whining. (laughs) Any of you have those gifts? And eventually I so wore them down. They all climbed into the car together and we went home. And as we traveled home, I thought to myself, who in the world am I? Two things were surfacing in my mind. Number one, camping really is unchristian. Number two is this. How can anybody who says they're a godly dad, a pastor, how can you treat your family in this fashion? Because here's the reality. We never seem to live up to who we think we should be. And if you think about it for the moment, here's what the world would tell us. Listen, you just do you. You live your truth. The problem with me doing me is this. You get more of me, which sometimes is not a very good thing. As a result, most psychologists say that depression and anxiety is on a rise. Can I tell you what's not on the rise in the world today? This idea of confession. This idea of understanding before the presence of God that I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. And the reality is we're messed up. And at points in times when you and I mess up, we just need to come clean. But we don't, do we? For the most part, we try to put on the best possible front that we can. We have an Instagram account and sometimes we take 75 pictures in order to get one right so that everybody can think we've got our act together. People, the problem with you doing you and me doing me is this. All we get is more of me. And here's what I found out about me. See if this is true of you. It's probably not true of you, but it's certainly true of me. 90% of the time, I'm the problem. In fact, there is a common denominator whenever I get into trouble. Whenever I have difficulty at work, difficulty with a friendship, difficulty in my marriage, do you know who's constantly present? Do you know who the common denominator is in every single problem that I have? Me. And my guess would be it's true in your life as well. One of the things we've got to unearth, we've got to uncover, I'm convinced of it in the Christian life, is this ancient fellowship known as confession. Where you and I come before God, and we say, God, you are holy and righteous and perfect, and I am not. The problem in our world today is this. We don't know what confession means anymore, do we? When it comes to the church, when it comes to politics, when we come to business, usually what we want to do is explain, why well, we were actually right, that it wasn't our fault. It was other people's fault. Hear me on this this morning, and I'm convinced of it. You cannot address what you can't confess. In fact, I'd say it this way. You won't address in your life what you won't confess. You know that to be true because some of you got some people in your life, your family, that are going through struggles even now. Maybe one of them has an addiction. Maybe it's to drugs or to alcohol. Maybe they got a violent temper. And you've confronted them time and time again and said, listen, I love you and I want to walk alongside of you and I want to help you with this addiction, this struggle in your life. But here's the conclusion that you've come to and you bump up against it every single time until they're willing to admit it. You can't help them. If you and I won't address what we won't confess, there will never be a time in our lives that we get this right. So this morning, we're gathering together around the communion table, and I'm convinced that this idea of confession, this idea of coming clean before God, just doesn't seem to be present in our lives anymore. I've noticed when it comes to my own prayer life, it just seems as though this area of confession is a little bit lighter than what it used to be. We're more than happy to crab with God, here's what my marriage is like, here's what the weather is like, here's what my job is like, but few of us want to take responsibility. Listen, from my perspective, responsibility, ownership, and this idea of confession go hand in hand. In fact, you will never address what you're not willing to own, what you're not willing to confess before the Father. Jesus, who was the only person in all of human history that had nothing to confess, is actually going to teach about this idea of confession in Luke chapter 18. It's a story about two groups of people. One of them is what I would call a non-church group of people. Maybe that's some of you here this morning. Maybe in all honesty, you were born and raised in the church, but you haven't been to church for years, and you decided in your own mind because you've been so hurt, so wounded by Christians, you were never going to set foot in the church again, but you made a decision because something difficult happened in your life that maybe Christians weren't the same as Christ. And you've made a decision today that you're going to come into his presence. And even though you're an unchurched person, you don't hang around with church people. In fact, when you sit at church tables, people sort of move in the other direction. I want to say I'm glad that you're here this morning. It's one of the groups of people that Jesus is actually addressing in Luke chapter 18, a group of unchurched people. But I want you to know there was also a group of church people. They were following after Jesus. Now, in all they didn't like Jesus. They thought they had it all together. They thought they had this religious thing sewed up. But Jesus was going to tell them actually they were missing it. And as the scripture starts in Luke chapter 18, I want you to see that the author, Luke, before Jesus launches in this parable, wants to tell us what the meaning of the parable is about. He tells us up front, which is incredibly helpful. Here's what he says to some who were confident in their own righteousness. In other words, the parable that Jesus is about to speak is addressed to some of you who are confident in your own righteousness. Ever been there before? You said in a sec to yourself, listen, yesterday was a bad day. Yesterday I blew it, but today I got it together. Today I spent time in prayer, spent time on a word, and you're feeling rather confident with regards to your own spirituality. And in all honesty, you're a little bit too confident in it. And the scripture goes on to say not only is he speaking to some who are confident in their own righteousness? But here's the second problem they have. They look down on everybody else. This is hard to imagine, but if you get outside of Christian circles, do you know what non-Christians think of Christians? They think we're self-righteous. They think we're arrogant. They think that we look down in judgment on other people. One writer actually called it comparagance. Do you know what that is? It's arrogance in this idea of comparing to other people. Now, one of the things we've got to stay away from with regards to the Christian life is you and I compare ourselves to no one. We compare ourselves before God, but the reality is it's part of our human nature, isn't it? I remember driving back from a vacation on Colorado this past week. I'm driving on ID80 and I literally said out loud to Beth, is there no good drivers on this road except me? I was comparing myself to the people around me. Isn't it true that that's part of the DNA of being a human? We compare ourselves to other people. I'm better looking, I'm worse looking. I'm richer, I'm poorer. I drive a nicer car or a less nice car. The reality is we live in this sense of comparison. And Jesus is warning before he launches into this portion of Scripture, you got to be very careful because that's what we do with the spiritual life as well. So Jesus begins to teach, and here's what he says. Jesus told him this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. In some translation, it says a publican. In other words, one was a righteous man, the other was a drug dealer. One was a man of tremendous standing in the community. The other was a pimp. I mean, there was tremendous difference between these two men. One was an outcast of society and one claimed to actually speak for God. And here's what the scripture goes on to say. The Pharisee, let's start with him, stood by himself. And he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. And that seemed like an incredibly ugly prayer. I've heard prayers like that before of you. I've gathered together in public prayer meetings before where people said, in effect, hey, listen, I'm so grateful that I am one of God's chosen. I'm so grateful for the family that God has given me, the country that I live in. I'm so grateful that I spend time in the Word daily and I spend time in prayer. I'm so grateful that I live a righteous life. Isn't it true that often when we do that, we begin to puff ourselves up. We begin to act better than what we actually are, what the Pharisee is doing. He says, and in effect, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. What are other people? Well, they're robbers, they're evildoers, they're adulterers, or even the guy next to me, this tax collector. I don't even know how he got in here. I mean, God, I should be in your presence. I'm a righteous person, but how in the world is this tax collector, this publican, how is he somehow in your presence? I'm so grateful. I'm not like him. People, isn't it true that eventually you and I can become very puffed up in the presence of God as well, puffed up in our spiritual life? Think that somehow with great confidence we're better than we are and we actually begin to compare downward toward other people? The scripture says that jesus obviously is not happy with this man he goes on to talk about the man who he is happy with the pharisee goes on to say i fast twice a week and i give a tenth of all that i get but now i want you to set it up because here's the tax collector now he begins to pray but the tax collector stood at a distance in other words He didn't feel as though he was a part of the group. He was sort of this outcast of society. He recognized he couldn't eat at the table of religious people. He wasn't a part of the group. So he stands at a distance, and he would not even look up into heaven. We talked about this in the series that we did on prayer. and We said often when we pray, we bow our head and we close our eyes, but that's not how New Testament people pray When New Testament people prayed, they looked up to heaven and they held their hands up before God. But this man doesn't feel worthy to be able to do this. So the scripture says he's not even able to look up to heaven, but he beat his breast. In the first century, to beat your breast was a sign of mourning. In other words, I recognize, God, that you are holy, that you are righteous, that you are perfect, and I am not, so in mourning now I beat my breast as I begin to pray. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus responds, sort of this caveat, and he says, I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. That this man, the tax collector, the sinner, the publican, the one who felt as though he couldn't be a part of the group, this man who wasn't even able to look up into heaven, not the other man who felt as though he was righteous, felt as though he was good, was doing comparison with other people, this man, the tax collector, I want you to know, went home justified before God. I have a recurring dream in my life. Actually, it's a nightmare. Remember, most pastors have this. But the nightmare is this, that I get up on stage, and I forgot to prepare a sermon. I show up on Sunday morning, I'm sitting over here, and the problem with uh, dreams is they're often sort of like scrambled eggs, aren't they? Sometimes it's Sunnybrook Church, sometimes it's my home church. I'm not exactly sure where I am, but it's my turn to preach. The band is sort of winding down, the bumper is on, and now I get up, microphone on and everything, and I say in fact, I got nothing. And I walk off stage. As I have this recurring dream, all of a sudden it begins to dawn on me. God's trying to speak to me. Because here's the reality. I've got nothing. In terms of what you need in your own spiritual life, the reality is this. I've got nothing. Nothing. That unless God speaks, unless his spirit grabs a hold of your heart, anything that I say can't be used by him, there's a sense in which the spirit of God has got to blow into your heart and into your life. If there's anything helpful in the message that I preach, it's because it's congruent with the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. The reality is this, I've got nothing. People, can I transfer that you for a moment? And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but as you come before God, you recognize, don't you? You've got nothing. You've got no goodness, no righteousness. You've got nothing that makes you acceptable to a holy God except the finished work of Jesus Christ. The reality is when I come and when you come into the presence of God, here's the reality. You and I have nothing. So Jesus says, listen, I want you to know this guy, rather than the other guy, went home justified before God. And now he's going to give us a teaching. Here's what he says. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I feel the best about people who feel the worst about themselves. Listen, this is not about self-esteem. This is just about recognizing your standing, your position before the holiness of God apart from Jesus Christ. That you and I have nothing, that you and I stand desperate in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I recognize as we come before the communion table this morning, most of you recognize that, don't you? You felt that sort of a conviction by the Spirit of God and you recognize it in your own life. You even know you got up this morning and said, listen, I want it to be different. I want to be different in how I treat my wife. I want to be different in how I treat my children. I want to be different in the wrong things that I've done. And by 9 o'clock this morning, you're already recognizing you failed. And this morning as you come around the communion table, the simple thing is this. We need to confess. And even if you and I, much like the publican, can't in a sense look up to heaven, here's what I want you to hear me say this morning, heaven is looking down on you. And even in the midst of your shortcoming, your sin, your failure, recognize God is saying to you, listen, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't abandon the Christian life. Don't walk away from me because here's what I want you to know. You may not have a hold of me, but I have a hold of you. And I am much nearer in your life than what you think. Listen, I'm convinced of this. Here's where I'm going this morning. The only way to get there is through confession. The only way to get there in the presence of God to a place where you feel his love and his grace Is through confession. This morning as we come together around the communion table, I want to encourage you to confess. What does confess mean? Well, in the Greek, the word confess literally means this, to agree with. So when I confess my sin, I'm agreeing with God, this is sin in my life. God, I'm going to name it. This is my struggle. This is my hardship. This is my failure. God, I agree with you. This is sin in my life. But here's what John says. If we confess, in other words, agree with God, this is sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And what does he do? He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So this morning as we gather together around the communion table, step number one is this. you got to confess. It's this lost art of the Christian life. It's this discipline of the Christian life that somehow you and I need to unearth, uncover in our own lives. It's desperately needed in today's day and age. Don't just do you. Don't just live your truth. Come before God in recognition of the fact that we don't measure up. And God, I agree with you. This is a sin. That's step number one. But step number two, and I'm convinced of this, is brothers, confess your sin to a brother. Sisters, confess your sin to a sister. Do you remember James says, we come before God with regards to confession, forgiveness, but we actually confess our sins to a brother or to a sister, why? To bring about healing. We talked about this in the message of accountability, and listen, I know as much as anybody else, to hear my sin be verbalized before another person can be incredibly frightening. But what it does is it takes my sin out of the darkness and it places it into the light. It says, in effect, Ken, here's what I struggle with. Here's where I failed. Here's where I've messed up. Would you hold me accountable? And today I want to ask you to do nothing more than come before God in confession Then tomorrow. I want to encourage you, find a brother, find a sister. Somebody that you can confess your sins one to another so that you can bring about healing in your life. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say this morning as we come and gather together around the communion table. I want you to remind yourself, I cannot address what I won't confess. I'm tired of living with failure and shortcoming, this besetting sin all the time. I'm tired of it. But the reality is this. You will not address what you won't confess. Confess. So come today, not with the attitude of the Pharisee, you've got it all together, come with the attitude of the public and the tax collector as you beat your breast in mourning before the presence of God and say, God, apart from Jesus Christ, the reality is I'll never have a right relationship with you. But what I love, and here's what I want to say to you today, you have an opportunity to go into the presence of God through confession, you can go right to God. For some of you who have a Catholic background, it was always taught that you had to confess your sin to a priest. I don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it tells us that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That you and I represent ourselves before the Father. That actually our great high priest, Hebrews chapter 4, tells us is none other than Jesus. And Jesus made his way to the cross of Calvary, died in your place, taking on your sin and my sin. And when he rose again, the scripture says that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What was the need for the curtain of the temple? Well, it separated the holiness of God from this priest. And only once a year was he allowed to make his way into the Holy of Holies, to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. But now the scripture says you don't have the need for a priest anymore. Jesus is actually your high priest. And he has gone and torn this curtain of the temple in two from top to bottom, allowing you access into the very presence of God. And you can go before God yourself and you can confess your sin. If you are encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted Podcast, where we talk real life, answer hard questions, and take a deeper, practical look at the topics we talk about on Sunday mornings. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify, download the Sunnybrook Church app, or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.